You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. I am honored, genuinely, to be back with you at uh, Gateway. I'm uh, privileged to be a part of your mission family as you support Barnabas Ministries and what we do. And to speak one time, one place is a great privilege, but to be asked back again and again, to me, that's a sacred trust, and I don't uh, take that for granted. So I'm honored to be with you again, and I look forward to what God's going to do as he speaks to us through his word. You ready for it? I ready? Great. Let's ask him to guide us before we do. Lord, we come before you recognizing that it is you and you alone who truly transforms a human life. We thank you for the scriptures, for we learn about you. We see how you work in lives and various points in their journey. And we thank you, Lord God, for the scriptures that are living, that are active, powerful, and they speak. So, Lord, would you do just that? And you, O Holy Spirit, work in this very flawed earthen vessel to uh, communicate clearly what you say. And Lord, we realize you are the teacher, you are the convictor, you are the one who can change us. Would you do that today? And so we wait upon you, and we look forward to our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let me tell you about Misty. Misty was raised in the church. I mean, right up through middle school, she was an absolute model student. When she hit high school, things changed just a bit. Her closest friends were outside the church. She was into drugs, failing school, and midway through her junior year, she dropped out of school, left home, and moved with some friends to the West Coast. After months of foraging food in dumpsters, she decided to return home. She was going to try and maybe put the pieces of life back together again. Now, Misty's parents, they weren't sure as to what to do. Yeah, they loved their daughter, but oh my goodness. Misty had disrespected, she had lied to them. She had stolen on countless occasions, and now she's coming home. Hmm. Matt is a pastor. Matt has been in pastoral ministry, or was for 25 years, And in that 25th year, he was unfaithful to his wife, forced to resign from the ministry. Broken and repentant, he began an 18-month period of restoration through intense counseling and accountability to spiritual leaders who were intent on seeing Matt's life restored to God, to his wife and family, to friends, and of course, to the church that he had hurt so badly. 
maybe those scenarios uh, strike close to home to you. Could be that you have or know a misty who has brought some tremendous pain. Maybe you are a misty. And God's been doing some uh, serious things in you. Or perhaps you've, you've known a Matt whose sinful choices brought incredible wreckage to his family, to his marriage, to the church where he served, friends, uh, to the community at large. Well, this morning we're going to read an interesting and well-known and, for me, one of the most powerful stories that Jesus told It's a well-known parable. We're going to place that parable alongside of Misty and Matt and us. And what a parable does, in fact, the word from which we get parable actually means to place alongside or to place it beside. And in reality, that parable is meant to almost serve like a mirror As it comes alongside our lives, it shows us, it speaks to us about something about ourselves, about how we react and respond to other people, how we view God, how God is, teaches us a number of lessons. And I think he's got something to say to each one of us today. Okay? So that said, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of St. Luke. Luke. Chapter 15, as we explore the prodigal, the parable of the prodigal son, as told by Jesus. One of the critical things that needs to be done before we read parables and attempt to understand and interpret them correctly is to take notice to who is in the audience, who is Jesus talking to at the time that he gave this teaching. And so we see who that is. If you look in Luke 15, starting in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it identifies the audience. Now the tax collectors and sinners, quote unquote, were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Oh, wow. So, who's in the audience so far? Who's it describes listening? That, That was a question. Okay, sinners. First one was the tax collectors, right? Sinners, quote unquote. And that third section? Yeah, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And if we understand reading through Scripture, we can learn about all three of those categories, those groups of people, as to how they viewed other people, how they viewed God, their attitudes. Oh, my, how they viewed people who were different from them. So you have the tax collectors, first of all. They were disdained, absolutely hated by the general public because typically the tax collectors were Jews that had been hired by the Roman government to collect taxes 
for Rome. But in the process, they often overcharged people and kept the surplus for themselves. I'm very privileged to be able to own a home. And with that privilege, uh, I'm privileged to be able to pay property taxes, which are due next month. <laughs> yes. Okay. So a local is hired by our township and so on. That's his job. Okay. When I go in to pay my taxes, I typically get a bill ahead of time. Most of you probably get yours too. Tells me what to expect. So I have an idea. And of course, that keeps going up every year, unfortunately. So I go in. I pretty well anticipate this is what I'm going to pay. And the tax collector proceeds to tell me, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's, it's $250 more than what you're going to pay today. Uh, no, no, that's not the way. This is my understanding. This is what I pay. I'm sorry. This is what you will pay today. Thank you very much. So I have to go ahead and write out a check. $250 more than I expected to pay. Do you think I'm, he's going to, do you think he'll be on my Christmas card list? <laughs> Not hardly. In fact, if he had done that to a whole bunch of us in the community, we would despise this individual. But that is the reputation, and that was basically how it worked quite frequently back in the day. Now, the sinners, quote unquote, they quite simply were people, men and women, who had done a masterful job in making a mess out of their lives. They had violated what God said. They had suffered all kinds of consequences. They realized their brokenness. They were the ones that Jesus found often were his attentive listeners. And of course, he had such a heart to see their lives radically changed. And the third group that was there were Pharisees, teachers of the law. They were the religious people, ones that were raised in what we would say, raised in the church. They knew all the answers. They proposed to know a lot about God. And they really prided themselves in purity of a list of the do's and the, don't, and the don'ts that you follow when you're following God, if you're a true, true believer. Okay? For them, appearance and duty was everything. Everything. If they had had Sunday school buttons or medals to go ahead and gain, or part of youth group and things, you can be sure that they would have, man, a whole chest full. Just how they were. So they, that was the gauge that they put, and they expected everybody to fulfill what they did. Okay, so those are the listeners. That being said, now we read the story itself, the parable, starting in verse, verse 11. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, 
there was a severe famine in that whole country and, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. Oh, he longed, longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, I'm starving to death. I'll set out. I'm going to go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up. And he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Against you. I'm, not, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring in his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Oh, let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and, and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and he asked them, Hey, what's going on? Well, your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders, and yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Oh, my son, father said, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was found. And he's alive again. He was lost and was found. Man, what a story. What a story. Really, it's, it's pretty simple down to earth, right? Right to the point, isn't it? Junior decides that he wants his share out of the inheritance. Normally, big brother got two-thirds of the amount, the estate. Little brother would get one-third. He wants it now. He's not about to wait for the will to be executed. I mean, dad isn't even dead, for goodness sakes. Talk about disrespect. I mean, if you're a parent, could you imagine that? Kid comes, hey, 
I want my money now. Go ahead. What have you, I, I want my money now. You would think, yeah, right. Doesn't work that way, right? Most of us, our natural would respond, response would be that way. Does this kid want to invest the money? He's going to tithe 10% of it and give it away? I don't think so. He's not going to start a business. He's not going to buy a home. What he's going to do is basically live out his version of The Bachelor. And he is going to spend the money the way he wants to and what he wants to do. So he moves away maybe to a Vegas or Cancun. And that's where he is going to enjoy life. Many of us probably wonder, what in the world, why would a father grant such a crazy uh, request to a disrespectful, irresponsible, and a self-centered son like this kid? Remember, this is a story that was given to teach the listeners something about themselves and something about God. There's a line from the Psalms, 106th Psalm, that always gets me, that really speaks to this. Where it says, He gave them what they asked for, but He sent a wasting disease upon them. When Israel had come asking God to do what they wanted, which was out of the will of God, by the way, God relented and He said, Okay, I will give you what you want. And from that, as it says, they suffered tremendous consequence, wasting disease. R.T. Kendall quotes the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who once said, you know, the, the worst thing that can happen to a man is for him to succeed before he's ready. For if you long for success in a certain area and it hasn't come yet, be thankful. It could be that one day you'll be very glad that you didn't get what you asked for, unlike the prodigal son. I mean, don't we often see this happening in our crazy world, only in America, where you have a young athlete, exceptionally gifted, who signs multi-million dollar contracts. They have more money than they know what to do with. And if you track the majority of them, you'll find that they don't typically go out and invest it wisely and, you know, set up accounts. No, they live, they basically spend the money that they have coming in. And so you have outrageous lifestyles, homes that are just, many of us would, couldn't even be, imagine being able to afford. Millions of dollars that's often frittered away. And then when they leave, either due to an injury or they are cut from the team, often you see it repeated as they have nothing to show for. What happened to all the money? Well, they were given a tremendous amount that they did not have the maturity nor the insight, wisdom, all of that to be able to handle it accordingly. Well, God gave, and as he's speaking, the father rather, here gives what Junior wants, what Junior felt he could handle. And so he goes out, 
runs out of money long before he anticipated, finds himself stone broke, destitute, no way to support his lavish lifestyle. And so in desperation, he looks for a job. The economy is in shambles. The place where he's living is in the midst of a severe recession. And the only employment that he can find is on a pig farm. Have you ever been to a pig farm? Anybody raise pigs? Yeah? They're not your household dog, are they? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Nasty. Look, keep in mind, the culture of the listeners, by the way, who are hearing this, they were taught, you avoided pigs, unclean animals. You didn't eat them? No, bacon was out for them, okay? I love bacon, I'm glad. Okay, but anyways, bacon was out. Bacon was out. You just didn't, you stayed away. And here is this young guy that has been taught you stay away from pigs. They are filthy. Now he's got to get his job feeding them, being among them, and he can't even eat the food that they have. It is not good. And so he decides, God uses it to absolutely rock him and to bring him to reality. As it says, he came to his senses and he goes back seeking forgiveness from his father and hopefully some kind of a menial job on the family farm. So what can we learn from the parable thus far? Well, as the prodigal discovered, as well as that first, those first two groupings of people, the tax collectors and the sinners, they were hearing in a very vivid way that a life of sin and rebellion will make you regret it sooner or later and will bring devastating consequences. It's, it's been said, sin takes us farther than we want to go, keeps us longer than we want to stay, and it costs us more than we want to pay. Like Jonah's experience in the belly of a whale, basically he came to the point of saying, God, this just isn't worth it. I need you, and I will do what you want me to do. Three things struck me about the prodigal's response in the story here. First of all is honesty. He's got to face reality, got to face the music, and he takes a hard look at himself, at his circumstances, and he's honest. This is not good. Look what's happened. Not only is he honest, but it's interesting, it strikes me he's homesick. He remembers what life was like once before. He wanted to be back where he belonged, back with family, his father who loved him. He realized he needed to go home. Then what often is the hardest part, after he was honest, he's homesick, he is now humbled. He knew that he had to humble himself, go to his father, ask for forgiveness, best a modest restoration, not about to cut any deals with his father. He only wants forgiveness and the chance to start over. Maybe that is where you are this morning. 
honest, homesick, humbled. Maybe God's drawing you to make a decision and get back to where you need to be, where he wants you to be. But there may be something else to learn about this. Let's take a look at the Father here, okay? You know, the main theme in this parable, as well as the two before it and the ones that follow after it, is the love and the compassion that God has for his children. Remember, this is a prodigal son. There's already a relationship with his father. This isn't just some kid. This is a prodigal son. And so the parable really addresses the question, what about a Christian who who backslides and falls into sin? Does, Does he cease to be a child of God? The answer is no. Of course not. God wants and he waits for his disobedient and rebellious children to return to him and he may well use life circumstances and the consequences to be able to force that child to come to his senses and come home. And the parable helps us understand that when we return to God, if we are the prodigals, or others that we know who are the prodigals, it teaches us how God is viewing the situation, that person, and how he welcomes that person home. And in reality, God has been working and drawing and bringing this prodigal, this disobedient child, to the point that they need to be. Love the line in Jeremiah. that says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness, says the Lord. From James, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Well, there's an important lesson for us. Very important lesson. And that is that you and I, if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him, We are called to imitate God in the way that he treats repentant sinners. And isn't it amazing to see how the restoration takes place? I mean, even before the son arrives, the father has been looking for him. Excited. And he runs to greet his son even before he hits the edge of the driveway. R.T. Kendall again, he writes, total forgiveness takes place when we forgive someone without them having to apologize. Total forgiveness is not when you say, well, let them repent. Let them say I'm sorry. Let them come back and eat some humble pie. Then I think I could forgive them. We're understanding what Jesus is teaching in this parable. God's forgiveness happens even before the prodigal turns a corner and confesses. In fact, God sees us and he runs. He runs to greet him. I mean, it just makes you want to run and greet your father at that point, doesn't it? And yet, sadly, some have been under the impression 
and maybe it's because of how their earthly father was, that God is this angry old man who sits with a scowl and his arms crossed. And when you say, I'm sorry, he says, yeah, right. You never listened to me. And now you want me to forgive you? And I make it all good? Yeah, sure. And so there are folks that often believe that's the way a heavenly father operates. And I wouldn't be surprised if that is what some of these sinners had experienced. Or maybe even some of these religious leaders. That was what they grew up with. Keep the rules. You perform, you do this, and I'll be happy with you. Step out of line? Forget it. So what? Are we surprised then? We, we often grow up with a skewed view of God. That's what we've heard, what we've seen demonstrated. It's not what God is like. Sooner or later, you and I either will find ourselves as prodigals or we will know of a prodigal. Could be a brother, could be a sister, could be somebody who was in the youth group, it could be an fill in the list. Somebody that served in the church, a former pastor. You know, Ephesians chapter 4 teaches us, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. See, one of the things that I have learned to practice is before I can point a condemning finger at somebody, saying, you know, you need to do this, I've got to be reminded I always have three pointing back at me. Oh, but for the grace of God that I can point somebody to Jesus Christ and I am not in the position ever to be condemning and pointing because I recognize how much God has graciously forgiven me. I too have been a prodigal. So let's take a look at the final character. We've seen the prodigal. We understand probably who is related, who Jesus was talking about. With them, the tax collectors, the sinners, they identified. Probably all three are maybe identifying now with the father, maybe stunned at his response, how he could love and forgive and seek and celebrate. But then there's big brother. Out of all those, who do you think Jesus is speaking to her? Where would you put them in that collection? Who would, who would best fit with probably being the big brother? The Pharisees. Yeah, the Pharisees. The teachers of the law. Again, as I mentioned, their focus was on performance, image, purity. Oh, we don't hang around with people like that. They were the ones that were quick to condemn. They certainly weren't looking for the prodigal. In fact, you see that repeatedly the religious leaders, the ones who had been taught, who who interpreted this is what a follower of God looks like and what one does and what doesn't, it was rules. 
list of rules, the do's, the don'ts. Some of us, some of you maybe have been brought up in that kind of an environment and, you know, this is what we do, this is what we don't do. There are some descriptives, five, I believe, that helps us to see ourselves if we fall into that category and we probably relate to The one who lives by the rules of satisfying God or thinking that's what does it, or we call it often a legalistic environment. First of all, there's a self-righteous perspective. Openly condemn others, never acknowledging their own sin. Always quick to point out the shortcomings and the sins of other people's lives, but never recognizing their own. There's pride. Yeah, but what about me? I mean, look what I've been doing for all these years. He never threw a party for me. I didn't get an award. I show up every week. I've been doing this for years. Thirdly, there's a lack of compassion for prodigals. For those who have just made a mess out of their lives. Those who haven't kept all the rules. Those who have embarrassed. Those who have hurt. Seldom do you see the self-righteous ones showing compassion for prodigals. Another one that's pretty obvious is a lack of joy. Everybody else is celebrating except Big Brother. He's not happy. He'd prefer that Little Brother is still out, on the outs, still suffering the consequences for how he blew all the money and the lifestyle he's lived. fifth indicator often is is when we are critical and when we are isolated. We stay outside. We condemn. We refuse to welcome back broken lives. We criticize the Father's actions or often the church shouldn't have forgiven him, shouldn't have put him back. I shared earlier, uh, years ago I was uh, privileged to pastor one of the churches in the Boston area. I was in the shadow of Grace Chapel. Grace Chapel at that time had been pastored by Gordon McDonald. Maybe you're familiar with some of his books. A tremendous orator, leader in the Christian faith, ultimately became head of a national organization. Uh, a few years afterwards, Gordon went through a moral failure. was forced to leave the ministry went through an extensive restoration process. It's about a two-year process, if memory serves me right. Counseling was held accountable by some mature spiritual leaders, and their intent was ultimately to see Gordon's his marriage restored, his relationship with his wife, with his family, of course, and ultimately with the church or the body of Christ. Gordon went through all of that. Never forget, I had moved away from the area at the time, but still kept in touch, obviously, with people back uh, in where I'd lived for a number of years. Gordon then, after a couple of years, went into a smaller church in Long Island, Long Island, we say, to pastor there. Was there for a few years, and then, lo and behold, Grace Chapel called him back to be their senior pastor. 
Grace Chapel at that point was a megachurch in New England. Thousands. When Gordon said yes, over 3,000 people left that church. We shake our heads and say, I can't believe it. Believe it. What would you do? Heaven forbid, Pastor Ben, Pastor Bobby, Pastor Bill. Would you respond the same? It's good preaching and hard living. Well, that's the power of a parable. Because if we really think it through and not so much focusing on who fits and it's speaking to that, and yeah, that applies to that person, but it brings us face to face with saying, where am I in this story? Am I the prodigal? Am I the forgiving and welcoming father? Am I the older brother? What happens when Matt or Misty come home? We'd be praying, we'd be anticipating, we'd be excited that they're back. We run to greet them and forgive them. Celebrate the homecoming or nope. Just stand there and say, they get what they deserve. Not me. I'm not gonna support that. So I wonder what is God saying to you this morning? How would he have you respond? to what you've just heard. Let's close and ask him to speak to us. Lord, this is a powerful story that is laid beside some fictitious characters, but really is laid beside our lives. What are you saying to us? Let me speak to you who identify with the prodigal. You know, you're at a great spot this morning because it could be this just exactly where God wants you. I don't doubt that. If you've been honest with yourself, maybe you've really been homesick of yearning for a relationship to be back with Jesus the way it once was. Are you willing to humble yourself and say, Father, I have sinned against you. I'm coming home this morning. If that is your prayer, would you stand to your feet where you are right now? God bless you. Anyone else? It's time for prodigals to face it. God bless you. God bless you. Maybe your picture of God has been the angry old man with the chest, arms across his chest. And maybe because that's how, what you have experienced, you view God that way and you have thus viewed other people that way who are broken, who want to come home. Does this speak to you? If you've been failing to forgive and know of Misty's and Matt's, and you've been holding grudges and hurt and bitterness, would you just let that go finally? 
And would you pray that God would fill you in a fresh way with awareness of his great forgiveness and love for you and ask that you would now be able to forgive others that way. If that is where you are, would you rise to your feet? Amen. And finally, perhaps painfully so, you relate to Big Brother, who's been raised to keep the rules and has done just that. And quite frankly, sinful, broken people are messy. You really don't want to have anything to do with it. You don't like to be around where they are. You don't want them with your kids, coming to your church. There's no joy, there's no genuine compassion. You prefer to point fingers rather to embrace. If you are willing to turn from that attitude today and to repent and ask God to fill you afresh that you would welcome the wayward brothers and sisters as never before and don't point condemning fingers, would you Stand up where you are as well. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this powerful, short, but vivid parable. Lord, we thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love, that you specialize in restoring wrecks and welcome prodigals back to your home. And Lord, we celebrate those who have, uh, yeah, they've come home this morning. Lord, I pray that you would uh, truly envelop them with a fresh awareness of your love for them. That as the scriptures say, when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I pray that they will revel in the forgiveness and the new chance that they have because of you and your love today. And Lord, we would be remiss if we didn't thank you for the love that you have for us, always, ever seeking, always loving. I pray that you would fill us with a renewed desire to mirror that love to broken people. And I pray, Father, that you would rid us of the big brother syndrome would prefer to stay in the comforts of what we've known, who prefers to uh, point condemning fingers and refuses to celebrate when lives make a turn towards you. I pray, Father, for your work in our lives and the uh, remnant of that kind of an attitude. Lord, I pray a blessing on this congregation as you have obviously grown them and are continuing to bless, they are now uh, seeing the foundation being laid for a permanent physical home. And we pray a blessing and thank you, Father, for your incredible provision for the resources for a new church facility. Lord, I pray that you would use not only the present, but the new home in a powerful way that it would be a welcoming place for broken people to come home 
and to experience the seeking, forgiving love of the Father. Help us to be good brothers and sisters who always celebrate that continued work. So, Father, I pray a blessing on this ministry, its leadership. Thank you. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you and having you speak to us today and change us. We give you our praise and thanks through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.